Welcome to QAV, very special episode this week. We have with us a guest uh, we've wanted to get on the show ever since we started the show for, I guess, about four years ago now. Our guest is the co-founder and managing director of the company that produces Stock Doctor, the tool that I use every day, Tony uses every day, all of our listeners use every day, Tim Lincoln. Today, a very successful company, I think about 40 finance professionals in the business, thousands of subscribers to Stock Doctor who use it like we use it to manage their investing. Over $800 million, I read, invested in their uh, uh, managed funds. And in 2021, as if COVID wasn't bad enough, Tim was appointed as a director of the Carlton Football Club. But Apparently, I, I can't blame him for their performance last year. Going to have a better year this year, Tim? Well, Cam, yeah. I've, who knows? It's a very even competition, but, yeah, we're very hopeful that uh, we've had a terrific pre-season. It's the second year with Fossey, so the guys aren't learning from him so much anymore. They're now practising on on implementing a game plan and, and strategy. So hopefully uh, the fans will get a lot more joy than we've we've suffered through over you know, the last 15 to 20 years. So the only way is up, Cam. Well, hopefully uh, you have a better season than the market's been having for the last uh, couple of years. Tony, I'm going to throw it over to you. I, I believe you guys uh, have met in the past uh, at various Stock Doctor functions. Where do you want to kick off our chat with Tim, TK? Oh, I think you kicked it off nicely talking about Carlton because I'm a supporter as well. When I first moved to Melbourne, I lived within a kick of Princess Park, so that's why I support Carlton. I think one of the first games I went to was at Victoria Park when the Collingwood supporters rolled the police horse during a <laughs> uh, during an upset moment when Carlton rolled Collingwood <laughs> back in the 80s. Yeah, it wasn't a fun place to be at Victoria Park Station there, was it, That uh, after a game? Oh, especially wearing a Carlton jersey. Yeah, exactly. There was two of us with our backs to each other as we, we got on the train. <laughs> Even the days of venturing out to the Western Oval or Windy Hill or Arden Street, it was a very, very different environment back then, wasn't it, to the family-friendly environments that we get to enjoy today at the footy. Yeah, very much so. Were those the um, John Elliott days? Yeah, it was, it was probably even before then, though, Cam. I remember going to the footy as a really young fellow at the MCG with Dad. And, you know, we'd, I'd be standing on the old steel cans that were empty around us just, to, just so I could see over over the heads of the fans in front of me. And But after the game, it was a bloodbath outside the ground. There were very few women, very few other kids. It was just men who had had way too much to drink and incredibly territorial. You know, it was on after the game. But today it's just so... So lovely to be able to go with your, your wife and family and younger kids and grandkids or whatever and enjoy a nice, safe day at the footy and see, see a really good spectacle as opposed to those very territorial days. You know, I grew up in uh, Bundaberg, Tim, country, you know, regional Queensland, and um, never really had any idea how serious Melburnians took the sport until I moved there when I was 17. And I remember, like, not even, it, it took me a long time to even get my head around it with, with my work colleagues, how it was, it was serious business. I thought, you know, you hear them, you know, the banter going backwards and forwards on a Monday morning. And I thought it was, they were joking around and it took me like six months to realize, no, they're willing to kill each other <laughs> over these football teams. It was a real shock to the system. Yeah. 
And I suppose it's 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 global though, isn't it? Whether it be the English soccer, the American football, or other form codes of, of sport, it's uh, yeah, we we've got to release ourselves somehow. And I suppose it's that territorial element or combative element again, isn't it? Or that patriotic support, whatever it might be, it it's that passion that um, that we use as a release to everything else we do in life. And yeah, that can. When we are deeply, deeply passionate, it can can ooze out in many different ways at times. Yeah. Well, if people aren't getting their men aren't getting their violent tendencies out after a game of footy now, where where do they take it? Is it Xbox? That's why I say to my wife. That's why I need to sit down and play Xbox. It's to get all my anger out <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, great to see that hear and hear and learn that you are a a blue bagger too, Tony. So you know, it's a it's a mighty brand that we we love and. And they've given us a lot of joy through our childhood. So hopefully we start to bring a, a lot more joy to to many of our younger supporters and, and older supporters' lives going forward because it is joy, isn't it? That's why we do it. And whether it's that release of passion or or whatever it is, it is that joy that it does deliver to so many people's lives too. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're talking ancient history with uh, Carlton back in the <laughs> Victoria Park days. My wife had a career or has a career in banking. She's still a, still a director of a bank. And she mentioned years ago that she had consulted with your father on credit risk. So could you maybe take us through the work of your father and how that evolved eventually into Stock Doctor, please? Yeah, well, with absolute pleasure, Tony. This is, you know, I don't get to do it as often as I used to, but when I'm asked to, you know, articulate that story is uh, gives me an enormous amount of pride. So thanks for asking. So dad was a, obviously a world champion athlete too. Before he became a, an academic at Melbourne University, he was, he was a world champion, 1500 metre runner, seventh man in the world to break four minute for the mile. So he was a highly successful man, not only in business, but also in sport and academia. So it's a very, very unique mix. Not too many human beings actually can say that they've been, you know, world-class in all three elements. So dad, after his athletic career, then along the way became an accountant. So he's a, he got his MBA and became a practicing accountant and management accountant. And then he was invited to be senior academic in charge of the um, economics and finance faculty at Melbourne Uni. And during his tenure there, he completed his PhD, which was entitled The Usefulness of Accounting Ratios to Describe Insolvency Risk. And so it was that piece of work that in through the 80s, he finished, completed his PhD in 82 and then left the uni in 84 to go out and lecture his methodology and theories to the corporate world. And that's where your, your wife probably heard of dad, Tony. So it was lecturing on credit risk, how to use accounting ratios, analyze balance sheets, profit loss statements, cash flow statements to identify a company that was healthy as opposed to one that was that was crook, financially weak and at risk of insolvency. And so those models could then be applied to credit risk or lending, commercial lending. So he he lectured credit managers and lenders on how to calculate these ratios manually using slide rules and et cetera to avoid potential disaster within their debtors ledgers or credit ledgers. And then through the late 80s, personal computers started to come in the fray. So he started to become quite interested in how technology could actually assist him in the computation of these financial numbers. So through mainframe computers and the like, he started to, to work on that. And that's where 
late 80s, early 90s, I came back from travelling overseas with uh, after working in the computer programming industry, both locally and overseas, for a few years. Dad then passed his computer PhD across the dining room table to me after I'd returned from London and said, Tim, do you want to have a crack at um, computerising and then potentially commercialising my academic work? And of course, I, I embraced that opportunity. We had to operate for the first four years on a smell of an oily rag, but while we tested and understood market opportunities and the like, and discovered that there was a high correlation with his credit risk models with share price performance as well through, through that research period. And then we decided the credit risk market wasn't that attractive or, or sexy, if you like. What we had a real passion, we discovered this real passion is to try to help the, the mum and dad investor avoid these disasters and qualify third-party recommendations from brokers and the like. And therefore, after years of research, blood, sweat and tears, operating off the smell of an oily rag out of his lounge room, we then developed this tool called Stock Doctor, or branded it as Stock Doctor. And in 1997, we finally got it to a stage where we could actually start to commercialise it. So dad had to go from academic at that point in time to entrepreneur, and I had to go from computer geek at that time to entrepreneur and get out there and try to market and sell this thing for which we've had a quite a large amount of success with since that point in time. I really love the part of the story which says that your father did work in looking at the, the various ratios that all bankrupt companies had in common, but then inverted it to say, if I was far away from those ratios, I must be a good company who's unlikely to go bankrupt. And that was embedded into Stock Doctor, which I think was very smart. Yeah, and Dad, Dad's... His unique piece of work was really identifying from the 48 standard accounting ratios out there that are widely used, the ones that are most correlated to either failure or non-failure success relative to the industries that they operate in. But at the end of the day, Tony, to really to really break it down into the most simplistic form is, is a company profitable? Yes or no? Has a company got uh, sustainable levels of cash flow? Yes or no? And have they, do they have manageable levels of debt? Yes or no? If all of those three things are in place and they've got a good management team around the business, then chances are they're going to survive. If the answer to those three things are no, then they're at high risk of insolvency and corporate failure. And of course, it's, it's a statistical analysis and it's, a, it's sometimes a very boring way to invest to look at those kind of steady as she goes companies. But there are companies out there which are not making money, have high levels of debt, but their stock price is going north rapidly. But I guess the essence of Dr. Lincoln's work was they're at risk of it one day turning down and crashing. Well, they're purely speculative investments, aren't they? You, unless you know something that others don't. But sure, yeah, if you have a portfolio of those companies, chances are only one or two may, may at best do, do okay over the long term. So I'd prefer to sleep well at night, and I think a lot, all of our members prefer to sleep well at night, knowing that you've got a portfolio of financially healthy companies that have, have a very, very, very low probability of failure. And if you can invest in those companies, and those companies also achieve the growth metrics that we look for in other ratios, like return on equity, return on invested capital, return on assets, earnings per share growth have good quality in regard to their accruals and profits. And um, if that's from a growth perspective, good profit margins also from a growth perspective or from an income perspective, they've got really strong free cash flow, good growing dividends per share, 
also got uh, payout ratios meet certain thresholds and they're paying good solid yield, then combine those growth metrics and income metrics with a high quality business that's financially stable. And it may, it's it's almost common sense that over the long term, a portfolio, a 15 plus stock portfolio of those types of businesses should do well over the long term. And that's that's the basic logic that we apply to our investment thesis. And I guess the old saying is true, that finish first, first you must finish. So that's the yeah. that's, that's important, isn't it? Yeah, sustainability is critical. Yeah, you mentioned a whole heap of numbers there. Why do you think it's important to be guided by the numbers, to invest in the numbers? And how much emphasis do you place on the stories that CEOs spin about what's happening in their companies? Yeah, well, I think the numbers are a wonderful screening tool. I mean, in Australia, we've got 4,000 listed companies in the US, a lot more. So I think the numbers allow us to screen and screen really quickly to come up with a with a reduced list of stocks to really pay attention to. So that's the first step in regard to our star stock selection process is that data, fact. I think to answer your first part of your question, data is fact. It is in a well-regulated environment for which we operate here in Australia in regard to the regulatory regime around the importance of of having accurate numbers and and data to to analyze is important. So when you've got that, you can have a high level of confidence that the the results that the data is producing are reliable. So that's the first step. So we get that confidence in in that. But I think what's really important then, so you've done your quant, that's your quantitative analysis or your your data analytics. and, And then what's important at the end of that is to have that nice qualitative overlay where you do assess management, you know, you do assess their their time in the industry, you do assess their capabilities, their products, their services, and so, and the active risks, the risks associated, which may be unique to the particular industry. That's very subjective. And that's your qualitative overlay to give you that final tick at the end of what should be a very rigorous process. But the data allows it to be very quick. The first part, that most important filtering part is very, very quick. But the qualitative assessment, the active risk takes that little bit longer. Have you put any of that qualitative assessment into a numerical form, like time in the industry or how, how much stock you hold in the company, that kind of thing? Yeah, we've got our nine golden rules. So the first three rules are very much data-driven. The final few rules are more, more qualitative, but still, to a large extent, data-driven. So golden rule four is share price sentiment. So share price sentiment relative to the type of investor you are, whether you're whether you're an opportunist and therefore in, don't volatility doesn't really worry you that much. You embrace volatility and take advantage of of stocks that are being sold down. Or if you're sensitive to volatility, you might use a technical indicator to help manage the volatility, the entry and exits. So that's data driven. Or then you get to golden rule six, which is liquidity and size. So how much liquidity, how much stock is traded in a stock every day? That's data-driven, but relative to the amount of money each individual investor may want to invest, liquidity levels can change. So you can't be prescriptive with that particular data point, nor can you with the share price sentiment. Then you start to go into other data points like market cap and size, valuations, and and they can mean different things to different people. So we try not to be too prescriptive outside our first three golden rules, but the other rules are there for the user to use as what meets their particular profile or size of investment. That said, though, Tony, we've got a really, really proud of the testing regime that we've got in the business here. 
you know, we're right into AI now, machine learning, testing, all different financial factors and data sets. As we build up history of of data sets, we can now see if they can add value to becoming more a statistical model going forward. So we're always looking to see if we can optimize our models relative to new new data sets that we identify that could become more prescriptive in time. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned star stocks before. For the uninitiated, what's a star stock? A star stock is a stock that meets our first three golden rules, but we've got three categories of star stocks. One is a star growth stock that are ideal for investors looking for capital growth over the long term. Borderline star growth stocks that are just don't quite meet our star growth criteria, but they're they're still they're elite businesses or star income stocks, and those stocks are you know generally on the larger cap side of things, but have sustainable income or dividend distribution models. So out of the two thousand listed stocks in Australia, I think I said four thousand before. I should have said two thousand. So excuse me on that one. Out of the two thousand listed stocks in Australia. Generally, there's around 70 stocks that meet our star stock criteria. And that's probably representative of the filtering process that I mentioned earlier, Tony, whereby we go through all of those 2,000 stocks very, very quickly with data to get down to about 100 stocks that meet our quantitative metrics. Then that qualitative overlay allows us to then get down to the, the 70 stocks that meet our star stock criteria. But relative to the economic environment, that 70 isn't um, a hard number. It can obviously float around quite a bit relative to the economic environment. I've always found it interesting that the converse is also true, that if only 70 is investable in the Australian market, there's a lot of a lot of flotsam out there, isn't there, really? Yeah, but I, I suppose you could extend it out again. There's some great businesses that are probably up to number 200, but they just don't quite meet our metrics. And we provide all the filtering tools to, as you know, to prospect amongst the, the ones that don't quite meet our criteria. But you're right, there is there's actually around 75% of the market don't pass our financial health check, golden rule one. And therefore, they're the ones that are at risk of corporate failure. And um, we've got five categories with our health model, distress, marginal, early warning, satisfactory, or strong. Star stocks must be satisfactory and strong. The other three categories, distress, early warning, or marginal, means they're at risk of corporate failure. And that that's 75% of all listed companies. So yeah, around uh, 1,500 businesses certainly we don't regard as being investment grade, speculative businesses. Getting back to the star stock, so if there are 70 odd on the star stock list, how do subscribers to star stock build a portfolio? How do they invest? When do you suggest they buy and sell from that list? Firstly, it depends on their on their investment profile. Are you in accumulation phase? Therefore, the growth stocks would be probably more appealing. Or are you in retirement phase or nearing retirement? Or you might prefer a more defensive style portfolio. That's where the star income stocks would play a role. So it's first of all determining um, what type of investor you are and where to fish amongst the star stocks. So then it's a matter of the investor then having a look and, and identifying other rules that they should apply. Are they a trend-sensitive investor or are they non-trend-sensitive investor? That would then determine are they going to apply some of our technical indicators or not? And therefore, using our our portfolio optimizer and portfolio constructor tools to then answer some of those questions, to then produce a list of stocks that ideally meet their their criteria and their investment profile. From there, it's really important though, Tony, that they drill into each of those stocks, that they don't just take it on face value, that they really like the businesses. 
explore management, explore what the companies do. They might have ethical or moral reasons why they don't want to invest in a particular stock because of the industry, whether it be tobacco, gambling, uranium mining, whatever. So it's really important that they then construct a portfolio of stocks that they that really resonate with them and also meet, meet the criteria of our star stocks and then construct a portfolio, ideally of 15 plus stocks. And so to avoid over-concentration risk. So 15 plus stocks, and then it's up to them to really just actively manage those portfolios relative to the evolving fundamentals of changing our, our changing golden rules relative to their profile and objectives again, or when a star stock might be moved out of the portfolio and who they then replace it with. But we've got all the tools in Stock Doctor, as you know, to help them manage when there is that churn of star stock. Star stocks have been around a long time. What kind of performance have they gained over the years? Well, since inception, which is back to Stock Doctor was launched in in 97, but star stocks were actually created in 96. So since then, it's around 17.5% return per annum, which is, you know, when you consider what what we've been through in that uh, almost 30 years now, you know, we've been through, through some pretty major events. So Sure, but it's sort of remained quite stable through time now, that return. But on a year-on-year basis, it can look quite volatile, but it is that rock-solid result. The last two years, let's be honest, the last two, two and a half years have been really challenging for star stocks because it's really only been the larger cap stocks, the larger banks, and to to a certain extent, the larger miners that have done okay in the current market. Anything below them including our star stocks, have really had a challenging environment. So the performance has been dragged back a bit. But as, as we know, cycles change or what we believe. Cycles certainly change, and that's when opportunity presents and hopefully the star stocks have a, a better run in the not-too-distant future once that cycle shift changes. But you know, just because they've produced 17.5% return per annum over the last 17 years, there are years in there that are incredibly challenging. Again, it's just about the disciplined approach and staying with the methodology through the all evolving economic environments and cycles. Yeah, not not giving up after a year, as some people could certainly think of doing after the year or two that we've we've been through recently. Yeah, capitulation is certainly a sign that things are getting close to the bottom, aren't they, when people give up and quit the market. It's it's not good for them, but it, it can be an indicator that things will change for those that remain. Yeah, for sure. And you know, we we like to think we're contrarian. We don't don't we never want to follow the herd. We don't want to adopt that mentality at all. Just stick to the fundamentals. Stick to quality. Stick to the stocks that align with your profile and stay with that for the long term. It's worked for almost 150 years now for for other highly successful investors. And I don't think balance sheets and profit and loss statements and cash flow statements are going anywhere in a hurry. So hopefully they still must form the basis of informed and confident decision-making going forward. But yeah, it's got to be for the long term, that's for sure. What's the Tim Lincoln philosophy about value? So is it quality at any price or is there a value overlay to your process? I think from a growth perspective, if you've got a portfolio of 15 plus stocks, you're going to have some high tech plays in there that trade at ridiculous valuations, whether it be PE or or traditional valuation methodologies like DCF or discounted cash flow valuations, whatever. So some are going to always trade at, at high valuations. I think you have to accept that for some high tech plays. But 
I always, after in this environment, it's always a bonus now. I love seeing that so many stocks are now trading at deep discounts to valuation. For me, that, that just is a massive tick and represents great opportunity. But I just think at times, if we intend to stay fully invested and not use technical indicators to help with entry and exit, sometimes in markets, we just have to be prepared to pay a premium for high quality. So that's how I, I treat valuations. I, it's certainly not a primary indicator for me. Primary indicator is quality, absolutely. Value is golden rule five as far as we're concerned. So it's a golden rule. It's certainly there in bright lights, but it is part of more of our nine golden rule checklist as opposed to being a primary lead indicator for star stock selection. Can I ask about the evolution into funds management? What drove that? How's that going? What do you offer in that space? So we offer the Lincoln Australian Growth Fund, which is an Aussie, obviously, an Aussie growth fund. We offer the Lincoln Australian Income Fund, which is obviously an income or high-yielding fund. And then we've got the Lincoln US Growth Funds, one hedged fund and one unhedged to cover for, one to cover for currency risk or, or not currency risk. So what they are is really using our methodology that we applied to star stocks and investing in a full universe of all of our star stocks in those particular funds, even though we don't have star stocks yet for the US, but that's hopefully not too far away. And the reason for creating those products were there's a lot of DIY investors out there, a lot of self-managed super funds who love to do it themselves, but there's a lot more who don't have the time, desire, or inclination to do it themselves, but believe in our methodology. So that was the reason that why we launched the funds is to still give those who are too time, more time poor, but believe in what we do, give them access to our methodology through through managed fund services. Does, for example, the Australian Growth Fund, does that just hold star growth stocks or are there other stocks in there as well? Starring, uh, borderline star growth stocks as well. Oh, okay. And what we do now is strictly invest in the full universe of those stocks. So long as the liquidity is there because that fund is now around 300 million. Some of those beautiful little star stocks are simply too small and too illiquid for us to invest in now. And that's, a, I suppose, the leg up or the advantage that DIY investors and stock doctor subscribers have is that they're nimble enough to be able to still invest in those stocks because they're not managing generally that size of portfolio. But yeah, it's very disciplined that they must be star stocks. Does the fund performance match the sort of performance you were talking about before for star stocks? No, well, with the, since 2003, when we launched the Lincoln Australian Growth Fund as an IDPS service, it's sitting around 9% per annum. So we didn't have that that nice little period of, uh, before that to invest in. Plus, it, we were, it was almost hot on the heels of the GFC and, and other things, but it's, it's still close to performing equally with the market. But the reason why it's probably dragged back a bit too is that we can't invest in those, those smaller caps that really turbocharge portfolios. But um, we're always looking to optimise the funds. But over that period, I think probably underperforming the star growth stocks by about 4% because of the reasons I just mentioned. And is a similar methodology used for the US funds? Are they as if star growth stocks were available in the US market? Yeah, very similar, but different factors. I mentioned, so financial health is pretty much the same, the financial health metric. But the, the factors we look for for the growth metrics, like in Australia, we've got return on invested capital for the miners, we've got return on equity for the industrial companies, return on assets for REITs. Over in the US, the factors relating to the, the industries that exist over there 
is a much more diversified market, the factors that we use, those ratios that we use to identify growth are slightly different and different weightings to different factors because of the uniqueness of the American market. Whereas we're dominated by banks and resource stocks and some industrials over there, obviously they're they're dominated by a vast array of companies, especially from a growth perspective, high tech. So different ratios for, for those businesses. I think you let slip that you might be doing a US stock doctor offering in the future. Can you tell me more about that, please? Yeah, a lot of research now, Tony, to make sure that we're we're optimizing those US models, the factors, doing a lot of testing, final testing there to make sure before we go there to the or before we offer the stock doctor US in in Australia and ideally take that to the US market and Asian market as well, that we've got it right. So a bit more work to do there, but I'd like to think within the next uh, six to 12 months a year, we have that product on offer for, for our, Aussie, our, our Aussie clients. And, and maybe if we can get our distribution strategy right or find the right distribution partners through Asia and the US, then we might be able to offer it there as well, which is, which is exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Before I hand you back to Cam, because I'm getting at the end of my list, can you maybe just give us the benefits of your experience in the markets and tell us what you think about the current market? Yeah, experiences in the market, it's it's one of endurance, that's for sure. You've and belief, you know, you've just got to you've got to have that conviction. And an equity portfolio is an essential asset class at the end of the day, isn't it? We we love our property, we love it. If we're fortunate enough to own our own businesses, then that's great too. But I think we all we all realize that it's really important that we, as part of wealth creation and income generation afterwards, we also need ideally a, a share portfolio. So that's the solution that that we're I'm so proud that we deliver to so many Australians is the ability to have that share portfolio. But in order to be successful in the market, it's just about that endurance and that ongoing belief and conviction that hey, we'll get through these tougher times and we've been through them and we always come out the other end. So it is about, you know, not flip-flopping with methodologies, not saying, oh, after a few months of underperformance, this doesn't work anymore. We need to look for something else. It's just staying with methodologies that make logical sense and staying with it for the long term and having that, that belief that you're supported by something that's real and tangible. And, um, the current market, yeah, it's just another one of those times, but this one's been longer. I mean, there's been all of the other corrections in the past have been quick, haven't they? The GFC went on for a bit long, but even COVID and other other major uh, economic events, geopolitical, whatever, over the last 20-odd years have been quick, a lot quicker. This has been two and a half years. So I hadn't, I've never had to endure this long a period where our style of investing or stock selection has been under pressure. So again, the the resilience, the patience, the belief, everything is not being tested, but you've just got to stay true to it and try to just hold on and, and wait for that cycle to turn back in your favour. So yeah, it's just conviction, resilience, belief, patience, and ideally being supported by something that, that you trust and has worked for you in the past. And don't flip-flop. <laughs> yeah. Very important. As I say to listeners who ask that the when they start with a, a process like ours or yours, it's it's a process for the rest of your life. It's every day. It's not not something you'll change in six months. No, that's right. And I suppose that where people have a propensity to procrastinate or flip-flop or or are highly um, influenced by others out there, they can't block out the noise or whatever. 
that's why it's again why we offer the managed fund, I think, too, so they can get on and do what they do. It's just that they're relieved of the inclination to change, you know. And so, yeah, it's really important. Jim, thanks. I'm going to hand you over to Cam. But before I do, just let me say I've, I've lived in Canada, I've lived in New Zealand and had a bit of exposure to the US. And there's never been another product like Stock Doctor in, in those places and anywhere else that I've encountered. So looking forward to the US release and uh, thank you very much for what you've brought to market. No, thank, and thanks for your long-term custom too, Tony. Incredibly grateful and thanks for those those words then too and an encouragement for what we, uh, yeah, we just want to try to help people as broad and wide as we can invest with that peace of mind and confidence. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. Uh, that was great, Tim. And um, I'm excited about your upcoming US version because we have a number of US listeners to our show. And one of the things they're always asking us to do is to focus on US stocks. And we haven't been able to find anything that gives us what Stock Doctor gives us. So yeah. keep us in the loop on that. That'll be really useful for us and our American audience as well when we can start to use it. Will do, Cam. I've got a couple of questions from our audience about uh, potential features or functions I'd like to ask you about. Uh, Michael asks, what are the chances of being able to set up alerts in Stock Doctor for commodity price turnarounds? One of the things that we track is the performance of the underlying commodities, for particularly for mining stocks and other stocks built on top of commodities. Have you ever looked into having that as an option with the alert functions? No, no, because we're purely, I suppose, we're really centric around equities. So commodity prices are all in the charting tool. We've got all of all of the commodity prices there. So it shouldn't be too too hard. I wouldn't have thought to to put alerts and an alert functionality in there for, for commodity prices if the demand's there. So yeah, certainly one we can add to the list that's um that always is being reprioritized every single <laughs> week. So no, we'll put that one on the on the dev list and and see how far it goes. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you yourselves if there is demand from that from your subscribers, and that would mean that we it helps us retain those, those uh, mem- your members as as our members over the long term. Then yeah, we'd be silly not to consider it. Okay, so everybody listening to this, email your stock doctor <laughs> rep today <Yeah>. and say. <laughs> uh, Tim said. <laughs> but with those people too, we'd, we'd love to set up a focus group too. To, so what we're developing is relative to what they need. So love to have those discussions. We'll get you on the uh, the Melbourne user group uh, WhatsApp list. Oh, no, don't. Don't do that. Don't do that to him. Oh, my, that's insane, that list. Tim, you mentioned the use of AI before. I have a couple of 22-year-old boys and um, all I've heard from them from the last few months is, mate, you just got to get ChatGPT. You got to do it all. It's You got to run your investing QOV through ChatGPT. Interested in your take on tools like ChatGPT or the analogous versions that are coming out of Google and Meta and people like that. How do you see that playing into investing, if at all? You mentioned before that you're using some AI stuff in somewhere in the back end of Stock Doctor. What do you think the future looks like in the next couple of years for those sorts of tools? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, ChatGPT, I actually played around with it. I said, give me the uh, factors that are highly correlated to share price performance for US stocks. And it came back 
at a very high level with the factors that we're actually that are coming out of our testing here and through our own I mean, data analytics at the end of the day, machine learning is all data analytics. It's just pattern recognition that, that's then highly associated or, or related to AI. It's all sort of the same thing. And so we're on that pathway. It's the future, Cam. It has to be the future. And it's probably not that far away. What does that mean for businesses like mine? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but we've still got many years before it actually starts to become a, a real threat, I suppose or we, we're ahead of it. I don't know, our AI might be ahead of it from a stock selection perspective, but it's impressive stuff. It's really impressive stuff. To be able to produce what I produced the other day on this almost a beta version of the tool is, right? Oh well, this AI or computer-generated intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is going to provide solutions to a lot of things in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I think one of the challenges I have, you know, I, I'm subscribed to ChatGPT4 and I've been playing and testing with that a lot, but its data set is uh, only up to September 2021. There's a big challenge with how lang- large language learning models work to be feeding it real-time data because it's got this whole an- analysis process it needs to go through before it can spit out its output. So, you know, uh, that's too old for us. If I say, you know, run some numbers on BHP, its numbers are 18 months old, right? Or no, what's that? Two and a half years old. Yeah, 21. To September 2018. Okay. So it's not very useful uh, for me right now from an investing perspective, but I'll be certainly keeping an eye on where it goes in the next uh, few years. Yeah, I'm sure data capture, data storage, efficiency around all of that will only increase enormously over the next few years. So perhaps real-time answers to real-time data analysis is, it's the future. It's just how how we evolve with it and how innovative we can become as things speed up. How we adapt to the new technology. Yeah, how we embrace it, how we use it, how we can, yeah, just got to be ahead of, try to be ahead of the game, I suppose, or and certainly play the game. It's exciting. So just to wrap up, Tim, at the end of every episode, Tony and I stop talking about investing and we just talk about everything else that's going on in our lives. It's the one time a week Tony and I actually get to chat up, catch up and be mates uh, rather than talk about investing these days. So we know that you're into investing. We know that you're into the footy. What else are you into? What's good? What, what, what fills up your life outside of those things, Tim Lincoln? Business, obviously. What we're talking about now, we've got you know 40 odd staff here in Melbourne and you know, I'm single director, sole owner. So the buck stops with me and managing a lot of money and clients. So looking to expand my support with from a business management perspective, even though I've got a great management team. You met Julia, head of marketing earlier, got a great management team. But I'm looking to get a more serious structure around the business, you know, proper board and potentially CEO in the not too distant future. So I can become exec chairman to then focus on the other things that get really nice balance again in in life. And there's so much in, in my life that I love. Number one is family. Got a beautiful family. My wife, Sarah, been with her. That's our 30th wedding anniversary in April. So that's exciting. We've got, we've got a beautiful lifestyle. We want to enjoy as much of our beautiful lifestyle as we can and spend as much time with our adult kids as we can, but not too much time, a bit more time to ourselves. We love travel. We've got, we've got as I said, a couple of residents around the country. So we love to get to those. 
I'm right into my tennis as well, right into golf, right into boating. Got a got a nice boat. So I love leisurely days out in the bay, having a fish or just leisurely time with the family. Love I do Ironman competitions and run marathons and all that sort of stuff too. So whether it would be just a beautiful long bush walk with with Sarah, we love our hiking and things too. So lots, lots, but and be, being really proud how I could get all of that balanced in life with you know business and family and and doing all of that too. But as we get a, that little bit older, I think it's really important that we we do smell smell those roses so we can maintain the clarity and the balance to to do everything else we want to do in business. Hence why I'll look to get a little bit more structure around me to keep so I can do more of the things I just mentioned. Iron Man. Wow. One of our one of our QAV subscribers was doing an Iron Man thing in Maui, I think, a couple of months ago. I'm always really uh, a little bit scared of you Iron Man types. That's pretty scary stuff. You got any were you reading anything good at the moment? We I like to get book and, and TV and film recommendations from Tony each week. He's got good taste in that stuff. Is there anything you can recommend? Books, music, films, TV? Start with the books. Just what I've recently read, the best book I've ever read, and it's all relative to where what I need to do in life going forward, what we just spoke about. And I'm not trying to push religion at all here, but it, it was um, Buddhism for busy people. And it was so enlightening just, you know, the importance of meditation, the importance of being in the moment, the importance, you know, the principles of Buddhism. It's, it's so pure and it was really interesting. So it was the quickest book I've ever read only because I was just so engrossed and the, and probably next to the Warren Buffett way or the intelligent investor, you know, it's right up there. It was just, it was really profound for me. So I recommend anyone who's really busy and looking to get balance and clarity and, and things in their, in their life, Buddhism for busy people. And another great book I just read on the markets was Physics of Wall Street. And that's all about a lot of things we we're talking about before too, where it's all come from when physics was first discovered in regard to stock selection and where it is now. And it's sort of, it's tapping on the AI door as well and, and things. So, so that, that was another recent, a recent great read. Those are the two things that occupied my time. Now it's all about sitting on that little cushion and trying to do as much meditation as I can. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I think that's really good for you staying in the moment. Yeah, exactly. I believe in that myself. What are you watching at the moment? Anything good? TV series, films? Oh, look, we love The Crown, the latest series of The Crown. I love Whale. Uh, we went and saw Whale last week. Went and saw Avatar oh, with the yeah. sun last week. The Obviously, the cinematography in that was just, the story was okay, story, whatever, but the, just the, the creativity associated with what they produced there was just mind-blowing. What was that story, Tim? I missed out the name, though. It was Avatar. Avatar, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> The latest avatar. The storyline's a bit bit weak, but just the what people can do these days in regard to just pure creative talent was just amazing. Whale was a good show. I don't watch a lot of telly, to be honest. They're too busy to if it's not doing the things I mentioned before, then it's sleep or quality time with the family. But uh, they're the things. Terrific. Well, thanks for that, Tim. We really appreciate your time and uh, your insights. And and again. Thanks for everything you've done with Stock Doctor. It's the cornerstone of everything we and, and our members do in terms of investing. So uh, we we really value it. Keep doing a great job. No, oh, thanks, Cam, and and thanks, Tony, too. Yeah, and keep your great work up too. It's um, education and empowering people and 
providing with methodologies and things that they can replicate and implement is, is so important. So well done on your deploying of your passions to people who who need it and obviously love it too. Well done. Thanks. And, and I want to give a shout out to your staff too. Your staff are always very helpful, very friendly. Victor in particular is always reaching out saying, hey, can I help with anything? answering all my technical questions. And uh, if we find problems with some data sets, he's always getting digging into it. Couldn't be better. So um, you do, you've got a really great customer service ethic there, obviously, which, you know, these day, this day and age is rare when you come across companies that really do customer service well and take it seriously. And um, I've got uh, huge respect for uh, the way that your staff reach out and help us and our members. Uh, I've never heard anything but really great feedback on your customer service. So well done. Oh, it's critical, isn't it? I think all great businesses are client-centric in a genuine way, in a genuine desire to help based on, again, genuine care. And if you do that right, you do it naturally and and you've got a good product to back that up, then it's a reasonable business model. A lot more to managing a business successfully than just that, of course, but I think they're critical ingredients. Basics, like investing, right? Have a good product, give good service. That's it. I mean, it's not that hard, really, on paper anyway. Yeah, not that hard. It's about the discipline of consistent implementation, isn't it? Exactly. All right, we'll let you get back to your day. Thanks a lot, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Tony. Really appreciate it. It was great fun. Thank you. All right, thanks. Bye. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. 